This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, the business station. By the book on BFM 89.9. Hello, everybody, and welcome to By the Book. I'm Lee Tree Lin, and with me is my fellow avid reader of Malaysian fiction and satire, Sharmila Ganesan. Hello, hello. So, today is a bit of a special show um, because we have with us, I, I want to do an impersonation, but I feel that would be cruel. Um, were you thinking myself? Yeah, with Lam. myself. <laughs> with myself, Lee Chui Lin and Shamila Ganesan, we have Cam Raslan. Hello, hello. So Cam is here um, to talk about Confessions of an Old Boy, The Datuk Hamid Adventures, which actually was first published in 2007. Um, that first run sold out and now 15 years on, we've got a revamped brand new edition back on our shelves. Uh, so that's with, a, what, with an extra story as well. With an extra mm-hmm. story, an which extra we'll story. get to, uh, which is what Cam is here to talk about. So Cam... Firstly, um, I think, you know, you knew this question was coming. What made you decide that now was the time to revisit Dato Hamid? Oh, uh, it's, it's been now is the time for a long time. It's been out of print for a very long time. Um, I was at a Big Bad Wolf sale back in 2010 mm-hmm. and I suddenly found my book in a pile. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I bought a lot of them. And ever since then, it's been out of print. And people are always asking me for... Um, for copies, and I only ever had one copy myself. So I've been trying so long to to get it reprinted and also to make it pr- uh, look the way that I wanted it to look. I was not satisfied with the way it looked before. Because, um, you know, people do judge books by their covers. <laughs> and, uh, and so now it, I think it looks really nice. And uh, my uh, wonderful publisher, John Lee of uh, Maya Press, has been really kind and generous in the way that he's helped us to have it come out the way we want. So I'm very happy. So it's not just a reissue. As you said, you've written a, a new story. Mm-hmm. There's a new foreword. You've kind of looked through the stories a little bit and, and tightened them up here and there. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. What was it like returning to the stories and, and particularly to this character? How did you get back into the groove uh, of his life and his mindset? Because you're, you're writing through his lens. Yeah. Um, it, well, sorry, I didn't have to write anything new per se. I, I mean, the new story I actually wrote a while ago. Mm. But I, I was rereading them after, oh gosh, what, 10 years or something? I'm not reading them. And, um, and, and it was nice because I was reading things and it's like, well, did I write? Who wrote that? I, <laughs> did I write that? And, um, and it made me laugh at times, and, um, which was really gratifying because surprises to me, I had completely forgotten. So it was, uh, it was really wonderful actually to be back in the company of Dr. Hamid, who's uh, a wonderful, strange guy. And I have missed him. I realized. So he does have a very distinctive voice. He does have a very distinctive uh, perspective, whether he's railing about politicians or critiquing pop culture or um, being talking about art, scared or, or loving of his wife. Oh, yes. <laughs> yes, yes, the wife. Um, how did you find his voice when you first began writing him? Well, I, I, uh, I am Malaysian, and but I grew up in in England, and so when I came back after twenty years of living there. I, I'm creative in the creative arts. It, it, it was always difficult for me to find a character that I could create. Um, and then one day, well, not one day, over time I sort of realized that there were these people I knew, my father's generation. And so I was able to kind of put them all together and throw in a, a little bit of me and other characters that I've come across over the years in, in film and television. And uh, so... That was 
how he came to be. I finally had a very truly Malaysian, stroke Malayan, character that I, I felt that I could, um, I could own and that people would find, not everybody, but a lot of people would find real. And, uh, and it came to pass. You know, people would be, I met a lot of people who were convinced that he was a real person. Oh, I know him. And uh, he's just like, not just like my father, but, but actually, I actually literally know him. Um, and, and that was always nice. So, you know, he's not based on a specific person. You've actually made that clear several times. Are we allowed to ask you this? Do you, do you have specific people that, that you did draw inspiration from? Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, and since I, I wrote the thing, um, several of them have now passed away. Mm. Uh, so now the truth can be told. <laughs> <laughs> Finally. <laughs> Finally. Well, I mean, I won't necessarily name names. But, um, but certainly he, as I say, he's my father's generation. He's not my father. I think that if he and my father... My father died when I was very young. My, my father died in 1970. But if he and Hamid knew each other, I think they would not like each other. Uh, Hamid I see as being a bit older than my father. He's kind of a halfway between Tunku and a bit more Tunku than, than mm. my father or, or Tun Razak for that matter. Um, but yeah, there are other people. There was this one fellow I knew, wonderful guy, um, Malaysian, and he was in the Foreign Service for a long time. And I remember once we, we all were having dinner uh, in Kuantan, and um, and we have curry, crab uh, crab curry of some description, and he he set about trying to eat it with a knife and fork, <laughs> 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 and I thought I thought wow, <laughs> um, so I mean I'm I'm I mean I grew up in England I'm, I'm pretty damn Anglo and that's that's more Anglo than <laughs> on the pale so that kind of thing. I found it really intriguing how you captured exactly that kind of uh, background and approach to life, um, particularly in the way he speaks and, and the, the words he uses, his diction, his observations on life. How did you capture the voice in particular? The language. What, the language. Mm. What were you channeling? Um, I, I guess at the time, I, I really loved Frasier. <laughs> yes. <laughs> And um, so there's quite a bit of Fraser in there. But also, I'm, I've worked in film and television and, um, in Malaysia. And, and I discovered that script writers, we script writers, would write dialogue that would match the script writer's um, perceptions of language. But every single Malaysian has a different uh, perception of well, not, not grasp of, a usage of, say, the English language in their language. Mm. It's completely different. So there was this one scriptwriter who was always giving people a uh, very kind of champor style, but it was her style of speaking. And I, I remember watching actors trying to, to deliver it, and they just could not because they had their own. And so I thought with, with Hamid, I really wanted to create something which, because you know, the reader will read it in their head, so in a way, there has to be a certain kind of plainness. Um, language has to be a certain, uh, uh, well, I can say plain, and then suddenly you throw in a little bit that, that, that throws it off. Like with Frasier. I mean, Frasier, I remember being, being told once, you, you use far too much French. <laughs> it's like, well, yeah. What if, I, I would, if given the choice, I would have Hamid speaking far too much French as well. <laughs> but you just sort of throw it off a bit. So... I wanted it to be so that you you could read it in your head and you wouldn't you you could create your own voice for him, but you kind of but there are indications that it should be well like like Tunku, 
I mean, actually, a long time ago, I, I always had this tape, um, audio tape in the house. My father died when I was very young. And it, it, I knew that it was a recording of him. Um, and I finally cleaned it up and I uh, transposed it to digital. And I listened to it. And I, I mean, I didn't really know my father's voice. But when I heard him speak, this Malay fella, I was absolutely stunned because his English was so pucker. Mm. Um, I was expecting a much more... I don't know, Malaysian English, but it was it was like he was giving, he was delivering a speech. He was practicing a speech and says, "Mr. Chairman, may I say at this moment that it's yeah." And I was like, "Wow, it's so Anglo, beyond Anglo." Uh, and so, in a way, I wanted to I wanted to sort of capture somebody as if frozen in time in say 1970, but then carried along on the waves of a modernizing Malaysia. But he's already um, he's already stuck in the past. I wanted to expand on you've mentioned a few times now uh, screen or, or drawing um, drawing inspiration from characters, right? And I actually thought that it was written kind of like a screenplay. Um, th- there were several sequences that I could imagine fully happening as scenes. And I, I was curious about that in terms of how you wrote, especially with your background and interest in um, film and screenwriting. Very perceptive of you, Lillian. <laughs> Cam, Cam. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, it shows you actually read the book, which is fantastic. Um, yeah, no, because my background is film. So I, uh, as a film writer and director and assistant director and everything, and uh, so film language and film writing is is my instinct. And so it was really fun to to suddenly write fiction like this because I I now no longer had to worry about the budget. Uh, I'd say, okay, let's. He's just going to fly to Paris, <laughs> and off he flies. <laughs> Didn't cost a penny. Um, but yeah, the 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 thing with film scripts is that you know the top of the page is um, exterior night house, and just about everybody's going to understand. Oh, it's exterior. It's night, and it's at the house. So I, I kind of used that simplicity. Um, I didn't. I didn't uh, do too many descriptive passages, uh, which I kind of regret. Um, uh, there was one passage I wrote which I, I liked about the monsoon on the east coast, and it was. Um, uh, and somebody said that they liked it, and I liked mm-hmm. it, and and uh, and I said yes, but we all know what the rain is like in Malaysia, and she said yes, but sometimes it's nice to have it told back to you. So uh, I have since written a sequel, and um, and uh, and so I give more space for place in that. But um, but yeah, the f- the film language and also dialogue is very dialogue uh, heavy. But the thing with film is that when characters speak, we watch their faces, and more often than not, they say the truth mm. as they understand it. But with Hamid on paper, I was able to have him lie um so he would say these words but then <clears throat> off screen but on page he said i lied <laughs> uh, so yeah that was fun we're speaking today with Cam Raslan um, about Confessions of an Old Boy, the Datuk Hamid Adventures, which Cam is the author of, um, and which is being revamped, republished 15 years after its initial release. Let us know um, if you've read the book and what you think of it. You can WhatsApp 018-789-8899 and tweet us at BFM Radio. Best flipping moments. BFM 89.9, The Business Station. 
Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Buy the Book with Lynn and Sharmila, and uh, a familiar voice on the station, Kamraslan, who is here today in the guise of author. Um, you know. guise? I mean, I'm not <laughs> pretending. I'm an actual with author. With his other hat. Yes, yeah, yes. Show me some hat. respect. I was trying. Um, anyways, Cam is here to talk about Confessions of an Old Boy, the Dato Hamid Adventures. And um, Cam, you mentioned earlier that actually one of the key things about the, the revamped edition, which is what we're discussing, is the look of the book, because you weren't entirely satisfied, I was perhaps? very unsatisfied. Okay, there it is, um, with, with how it was when it was first published. So what specifically has changed about the appearance or the look of the book? Um, the uh, Just the, 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 the page layout, the word layout, the font, but the cover, the cover very much. Um, the original book and indeed this book have illustrations by Sidney Tan, the great Sidney Tan. And, uh, and so I, I, I've kept that. I've kept his illustrations. I, I also asked him if he could uh, to do a few more. He now lives and works in, in uh, Los Angeles mm-hmm. in the film industry, uh, which is strange because Dato Hamid's grandson uh, actually yes. <laughs> <laughs> did the same thing. And uh, so in my mind, he, he and Sydney are working together. And um, so I, the illustration is still there. Also, I got it edited. Um, copy edited so it actually oh my god last time actually yeah, I did it myself turns out I don't know how to read and write English <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I had it properly done now so this time it really flows it's, it's so much more readable and um, uh, so those things uh, the, the quality of the cover the paper I was trying to get a certain kind of paper couldn't get that because because you shouldn't get that in the tropics actually this kind of paper that we're, we're used to, we'd say, with Penguin and from the UK. But actually that gets very blotchy very mm. quickly with the humidity. Um, so, yeah, I, I'm happy with the way it looks. So the illustrations by Sidney Tan are actually quite a highlight of the book. They mm. add a lot to uh, the feel and, and pull you into the story. Talk to us about the process of working with Sydney and how you came up with this visual style. I, I've worked with Sydney before. We used to do a comic strip in when I was writing for Men's Review magazine back in back in the day, back in the nineties, and I would write the 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 words and the the, the it was kind of a James Bond spoof, uh, uh, Malaysianized uh, Jimmy Wong, I think was the, the hero's <laughs> name, and. Uh, so originally, at first, in the first one, I'd write these long things, you know, with <clears throat> and then Jimmy in, in uh, frame left reaches forward and, and crash bang. And a very, but then instantly found out with Sydney, you just just give him the words, just give him the thing. And then he just comes up with this dazzling screen. So likewise with this, I just gave him the chapters. He read them and then he just sort of came up. He didn't sort of say, what if I do this? He didn't do it. He just did it. And there were these beautiful panels. And the reason why I wanted illustrations was because I love, I love Charles Dickens. And so his books are famously illustrated. Um, and, uh, and I wanted to write a book that was um, a popular book. I, I don't mean as in I want to be popular, but as in it, I don't want it to look and feel like it's supposedly a follow-up to uh, the Brothers Karamazov. Um, <laughs> It's it's not that. So, yeah, to give indications that it was um, an accessible book. Is that the right word? Accessible? Yeah, I, I think it is. Yeah. I think it is. And I, I think it's a fair capture, actually, of what the book is. Um, I Before, I mean, before we let the subject go... 
talk us through the cover because we've had conversations off air about the cover, um, about the colours that were chosen, about what it tri- pays tribute to. Um, I believe our co-host on another show, Sharad Kutin, threw in postage stamp. Um, so yeah, tell us about well, the cover. Is, it is uh, based on the old kind of Malayan postage stamp. And also there are, in it, there are episodes from stories. But as a cover, you wouldn't know what those episodes mean. And I've I've been involved in enough theatre and film where posters have been created. And oftentimes they would allude to a particular plot point in the play so that the, the, the people who are looking at the picture have no idea what it means until they watch the play. But it was necess- I think it's necessary to evoke uh, the feel of what I'm – the promise of, of the book in the illustrations. And, um, and I think we've achieved that. So it's quite, it's quite a strong green with red lettering, which, is, um, which was impressed upon me by more <laughs> young-minded people who were not actually that young, but saying, uh, you know, I'm, a bit old, I'm a bit old school. Um, so actually, if if and when we sell out on the first edition, we want to do another cover again, which is even bolder. Mm. And so we would have two covers simultaneously, and you could choose uh, when you buy it uh, which cover you want. Oh, nice! Uh, it's a very it's a very striking cover. I like it a lot. Yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm very happy with it. Sydney's fantastic. He's so good. Let's talk about the new story. Um, mm-hmm. So it's called Disco, and it has some of the um, Datuk Hamid high points or classics, right? Um, his love and fear of his wife, his frenemies, um, you know, some good-hearted buffoonery going on. Tell us about the story. Well, it's set in the 1970s. It's a little bit... Uh, uh, it could be the 80s, actually, but it's kind of the 70s, uh, the height of disco. And Hamid... Hamid's a very straight-laced guy. He's, um, he, he wants to come across as being very in control of matters. But there's one thing that turns out that, that he cannot control, which is his love of disco music. It just, it, just, it just grabs him. And he does crazy, stupid things. So um, older listeners might remember a place called The Tin Mine in Hilton Hotel. I, I don't know. You two are nodding, but did you No, ever, I thought you made it up. I, I didn't know it was a real place. <laughs> yeah? Oh, I, no, I just yeah. nodded wisely. All right. No, no, it was a real place. And... Um, and it was, I was too young to go there. I did go there, but in, the, in its dying days. And it was more kind of my old, older brother, eldest brother's kind of time. And it was always this place where I imagined, um, it was like the Studio 54 of Malaysia, where terrible, <laughs> you know, decadent <laughs> things went on. Probably didn't. And it was famous also for its, uh, apparently underneath the stairs, there would be these backgammon tables. Mm-hmm. And so... Um, in the story, Hamid is is overwhelmed by disco music, and and one of his, as you say, frenemies takes advantage of this, and and uh, whilst playing backgammon, uh, tempts him into a friendly wager, um, which involves, uh, well, Hamid doesn't realize until, until the next day, um, wagering his own wife, <laughs> so he has to get out of this trouble. Uh, Hamid always gets into trouble, so um, yeah, so that that was the story. But the the tin mine, I think, is indicative of what I really wanted to do with the book is that to tell stories of, that were set in in um, in the worlds of a Malaysian elite, and I didn't want to look upon that as being a bad thing because I mean people would say, oh, it's very elite, very. Um, like real people, that's true, but but nobody's ever actually really 
tried to capture the the elite class that actually ran the place. And m- most people didn't really know who they were. We might know the 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 politicians' faces, certain politicians' faces, but there's this whole world. Um, and they were the people who were actually in the in the 70s, the 80s, and the 90s, three very different decades, the ones who were actually benefiting from uh, Malaysia's growth and that were manipulating uh, the, the economy for their own ends. And so the, these are the kind of people that inhabit Hamid's world. And Hamid is, Hamid is he's old-fashioned. that He just wants to be um, a decent... I was going to say hardworking, not hardworking civil servant, <laughs> very lazy civil servant, um, who wants to have nice things. But it kind of struck me when looking at this class is the thing with Malaysia is that our our reach extends beyond our grasp in that when we have factor in exchange rates, Malaysians have for decades, unlike, I mean, dare I say, unlike Thais or Indonesians, um, been tutored to appreciate uh, gl- globalized cultures, but we don't have the money. <laughs> so the best way to get the money is to steal the money. <laughs> and and these are Hamid's friends. So we 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 visit uh, moments of um, theft <laughs> um, that I couldn't possibly have told in nonfiction. Uh, they had to be fictionalized, <clears throat> and the names kind of not just the names changed, but the characters changed so much. Uh, because I mean, I, I kind of I got the possible, I had the opportunity to kind of see these people. So I, someone has to write it. <laughs> so, what do you think then the Datu Hamid stories have for newer readers who, in fact, um, grew up very differently from the lifestyle you capture in the book and who've never been to the tin mine? Yeah, that's a good question, Lynn. And uh, I would say when I wrote it, I guess I was assuming that these people would live forever. And there was actually a time when I was on Evening Edition with you and I mentioned I mentioned the rest house. And then after I mentioned it, the, your, your producers on the show came and said, what's a rest house? And... And even now, there are people that are listening who be like, I don't know, what's a rest house? But if a rest house was such a staple of the landscape of um, Malaysia, y- your journeys were determined by the locations of the rest house and memories of certain people of a certain age are replete with the location, the food, and the family with you at a rest house, but it's gone now. And, and so I'd like to think that I've kind of captured certain places and people who have <laughs> have since passed away. And so, I mean, like I say, I love Dickens. And I, I read Dickens long after the man died. <laughs> and I appreciate the fact that he, he captured, I think he captured, a world um, of immense change, which in many ways is actually like Malaysia in the, the 1990s. So I... I th- that is what I hope. But I also characters who are um, engaging um, language, which I think I think is quite funny, <laughs> um, and locations and places and storylines, etc. There are many different stories in there, of course. So uh, there are different genres, and I wanted to play around with different genres. So there, you know, if you like a, a murder mystery, there's a murder mystery. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I actually that's. Part of what I really liked about reading the book was 
getting to know these bygone days of of Malaysia, Malaya, uh, but through a not a non-fiction lens, but through a, the satirical lived-in lens. I thought that was actually really nice. Um, what's next for that, Hamid, and yourself? Well, I have written a sequel, and the sequel is um, a, it's a, a single story, a full, full-length novel, and it's set in um, uh, London and England, which are two different countries, and Berlin and Malaya of 1953. Um, yeah, so it's it's called Malayan Spy. Um, so it has romance. Um, Wait, but it is Datuk Hamid. Oh, it's Datuk Hamid. Okay. When he was younger. So, right. I mean, the, the stories in Confessions of an Old Boy stretch from 1949 to like 2010 or so. So it's quite, but this is this is really about youth and um, and there's Cold War, espionage. But also it was a, it was a moment I kind of realized when... It was pre-independence, but it was pre-pre-independence. <laughs> and it was not certain at, in 1953 that there would be independence. And there wasn't necessarily amongst certain communities in, in Malaya a, a profound call for independence. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so if you took a young Malayan of that time and, you, and if you put him in a situation where he, he has to examine his loyalties and what he is prepared to betray, then... What what are you in a pre-independence world? Who 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 is your? Where do your loyalties lie? Um, and uh, in many ways, it's it's about his loyalties lying where he he is romantically driven. Um, but but yeah, he. I mean, you know, is he loyal to a Malaya that doesn't exist? Is he loyal to his state? I never name his um, his state, but or is he loyal to Britain? When can we expect Malayan Spy? Well, it is written. Um, I'm, I'm uh, in, in the process of uh, submitting it to uh, publishers. Um, I really wanted to get Confessions of an Old Boy back out again. I, I wrote Malayan Spy a while back um, and uh, gone through many different names. So I finally settled on a name which I like. Um, I, I like it, though. I do. I do. I, 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 and I'd, li- I'd like to write more Hamid things. I'd really like to do one which is set in the emergency. Yeah, I'd like to do that with him, caught in a in a uh, an ambush with you know communists, and then, <laughs> and then and then him being suddenly finding himself uh, finding himself suddenly being a communist. <laughs> How did that happen? <laughs> so many jungle. possibilities. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Um, we're speaking today with Cam Raslan, um, author of Confessions of an Old Boy, The Datuk Hamid Adventures, which has been re-released 15 years after it was initially published. Um, Cam is sticking around for footnotes, but let us know if you have read Datuk Hamid and his stories. Uh, you can WhatsApp 018-789-8899, tweet us at BFM Radio. <laughs> That brings us to footnotes. And of course, because we have Cam, um, not just an author, but also host of A Bit of Culture, we thought we are not going to let the opportunity pass without asking Cam for recommendations, um, particularly ones with a satirical bent, um, especially considering Dato Hamid. Yeah, um, I'm glad you call, you call Dato Hamid a satire. Um, and it's not something that, that everybody kind of picked up on. Uh, it, it is a satire. Interesting. Yeah. Uh, because I didn't really, I didn't want to make it an obvious mm-hmm. satire. It could be just, it's just fun. Um, but it is a satire about about 
um, where power lies and and how it's manipulated and used to to benefit. So if if we look back at the things that I've read, um, I the first thing that strict comes to my mind is um, it's a book that not many people know. It's called Diary of a Nobody. Uh, it's by George and Whedon Grossmith. It came out in 1892. Oh, yeah, it's not very well known. They, <laughs> the two of them, brothers, they they were actually they wrote um, skits for the music hall in England, and and I I've written a lot of um, skits for Instant Cafe Theatre with Joe Kukatas. Um So, but Diary of a Nobody, the main character is he's an absolute nobody. Uh, he's a not a civil servant, but he, he's a clerk in, a, in an office, and he's just so always upset that people don't show him respect. And and he has this running battle with the the butcher, who delivers things, and he's he's convinced that the butcher's selling him the bad stuff. And then there's a thing about <laughs> there's a crack in the wall outside, and and he's convinced that everybody's against him. It's, it's just it is so mundane, but hilarious. And it's a collection of stories. It's a, it's a diary. It's a diary. So right. we we I, we're with him for about a year or so, um, and we meet his. <laughs> really terrible son, and and his two friends who are Mr. Cummings and Mr. Goings, uh, and there's one of the illustration of it where it is so mundane because there's this bit where um, he's out for a walk with with Cummings and Goings, and they walk up a hill, and then they walk down a hill, and the illustration is them walking up a hill and then down the hill, and it, it's it is that mundane, but it's hilarious. So um, a satire of. Uh, of um, Social mores, but bearing in mind also the 1890s was a time when the middle class in Britain with the Industrial Revolution was exploding, and they were trying to find out how to be, who they were, because th- the central character's parents would have been born in a barn, and um, and I and I sort of found that in in the Malaysia of the eight, of the of the 1990s, where this explosion of the middle class and people trying to find out, well, how do how do we be? Uh, what are our totems and our fetishes and our taboos? Mm. So that's one. Yes, I'm already writing it down. That sounds hilarious. <laughs> it is it's hilarious. Oh, you want more? Yes, uh, you okay. have more. <laughs> I, do, I do have more. You I, have a list in front I, of you. We can see it. It's a short list. Well, <laughs> okay. Well, in terms of um, Confessions of an Old Boy, um, I, I think it's a satire. It's um, the Flashman series. Um, Flashman. He written by George MacDonald Fraser. Uh, I think he wrote them really in the 1980s or 1970s. But what he did was he he took um, this book, Tom Brown School Days, which was a very famous Victorian age book uh, about a, a good schoolboy and a, and a good um, teacher. And it was set in rugby school and and how things, how the the Victorian middle class. Uh, should be as upstanding citizens and the people who ruled the the empire. Um, but in that book, there was this one character called Flashman who was the bully, and he was really horrible, really horrible. So George MacDonald Fraser comes like 100 years later, finds that character of Flashman, and then creates a whole series of books where Flashman becomes, in the public eye, a hero uh, of the Victorian age as a soldier. He's And he's involved in every great, Victorian event from the Crimean War, Charge of the Light Brigade, the Indian Mutiny, which is now called what the the War of First War of Independence or something in India. Uh, he's even in in Sarawak with uh, Roger Brooke, um, and all, so he's always in all these stories like Zelig. But 
Um, what what the public don't realise, but it's in the book, he's a complete coward. <laughs> <laughs> and and just this most decadent and awful person. So he's still got that bullying streak from the book, but not, but the public believe him to be this magnificent hero, handsome fellow, but he is just an awful person. So I, I think George MacDonald Fraser probably was celebrating Empire. I don't know if it's a, it's a satire or such, <laughs> but what he does sort of... But it can be read as one now. It could be read as one, but it certainly opens the window on the possibility. I, they, they were these Victorian age stories that I read in the history books, and they were noble stories. Mm. No, the Charge of Light Brigade is a story of nobility. You know, they charged on the 400 or whatever they were and all that kind of thing. It, uh, but then he describes it as being just this calamitous disaster full of just awful people just making terrible mistakes, including himself. Because <clears throat> he was actually trying to get away from there and inadvertently finds himself charging towards the cannons and everyone follows him. <laughs> <clears throat> so, so Flashman is, is that. As I say, I, I think now if – I'm pretty sure actually now if you read it, you'd, it would be – politically suspect. But I, I like the conceit of finding a, a character from a bygone age and then and then writing that bygone age contemporaneously. Hmm. And finally, I'd say, uh, may I have one more? Yes, please. Okay. Uh, well, Dickens. I mean, Charles Dickens. Yeah. Just anything by Charles Dickens. Not a specific piece? Well, my favorite book would be Bleak House. Mm. Um, <clears throat> it's a big, thick book. Mm. And have you have you two? It's the it's actually one of the few Dickens that I haven't read because of how thick it is. Yeah. Yes, Bleak House and Little Dorrit. Yeah, I've not read. Oh, I haven't read Little Dorrit either. Mm. Yeah. Uh, well, Bleak House for me, it's such a big, thick book. I read it. it it's one of my greatest achievements in life. Was reading it. I feel so proud of myself. <laughs> <laughs> such a good book, and and I have no recollection of what it was about. My favorite book I had. Do not know what it was about. Because there were so many characters what coming at you. What a rousing recommendation. Well, no, 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 because there's so many characters coming at you. And and how they connect with each other, I don't know. But he <laughs> but he paints this picture of the world. Um, and not just the people at the top, the Lady Deadlock, but all the people in between from top to bottom. And he convinces you that every single person, people who you at first think is just a comic character, actually have real depths of humanity. And what they want may be seemingly ridiculous, but it's what they want. Um, and so uh, it, it's just character portraits and a storyline that I cannot remember. What? I mean, even as it was happening, it's like, I don't really know what's going on, <laughs> but it's just so absorbing. And it's the only book that I've read with the, that made me cry whilst reading it. Have you ever cried reading a book? Yeah. I, I cry in many books. Really? Yeah. 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 So really, I mean, it also sounds like Bleak watching. We'll do that. Yes, it sounds like watching a multi-season um, TV show, where yeah. in the end you kind of forget what got you to the end. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's like The Wire, <laughs> but it, it, in many ways it is, except without drugs. But, right. but yeah. Okay, so Charles Dickens in general and Bleak House in particular. Oh, All right, Cam. Thank you so much for those recommendations. Thank you so much for joining us today. Well, thank you. Thank you so much. Um, I've enjoyed this. I haven't had a chance to talk about my own thing ever. It was nice. <laughs> <laughs> You've heard, of course, Cam Razlan, uh, author of Confessions of an Old Boy, The Dato' Hamid Adventures, which has been re-released um, 15 years after it initially came out. Brand new cover, brand new look, one new story. Uh, let us know if you've read it or if you plan to. You can WhatsApp 018-789-8899. You can also tweet us at BFM Radio and write to us at bythebook at bfm.my. 
You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.